Quick disclaimer, due to the effects of COVID-19, James is recording some of these episodes virtually. And in this episode, it results in a slight delay between him and his guest. No one is trying to interrupt each other, it's just the pleasures of recording over a video call. Anyway, let's get on with today's episode. Two weeks have gone past, so it must be time for another episode of Rocket Fuel. Ian Shepard is this week's guest. He's got a huge amount of experience in the influencer space. He's launched a number of businesses and organisations associated with influencers, and we get into the weeds of his various different roles. It's also worth mentioning he's ex-Disney, so he has that big kind of corporate experience as well. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Do pass it on to a friend if you think a friend might enjoy it. And stay tuned for more Rocket Fuel. Um, I'll catch up with you at the end of the interview. So this week, we're joined by the CEO of Social Store, the Social Store, the co-founder of Electrify Video Partners, which we'll come to later. But Ian Shepard, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thank you, James. It's such a pleasure to be here. No worries. I should warn the listener that we kind of know each other a little bit. So if I do uh, move into a redundant in- intimacy and start saying Shep as your name, that's <laughs> because I've been introduced to you like that previously. So uh, let's see how we go. Ian Shep, bring it to life because your journey is an interesting one. Talk to us about your professional journey. How have you ended up where you have ended up? Thanks, James. Um, Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey for me. I've been very lucky. I certainly didn't plan it this way from the start. But um, having graduated, I went into consulting and then quickly moved into the media industry. I really loved the changing pace, the creative people. And it was a great way to kind of apply my skills. My first role was working at Turner Broadcasting, who look after Cartoon Network. And I spent three years there learning about kids TV. I had a TV on my desk, which was fairly unique at the time. Um, And it it was, you know, it it was fascinating to understand kids and the way they consume media 17 years ago i was involved in the creation of a number of new kids channels on sky um, and it was the advent of youtube as well and kind of we were seeing pirated uh, cartoon network content on youtube so really interesting time to kind of get into to the media industry then join universal music for four years and i did some really interesting roles there and working closely with big artists like Beyonce and Black Eyed Peas um, and really kind of learn about these creators and the audiences they had and the influence they had um, pre-influencer. Most recently, um, my my biggest role was at Disney and I was head of business development for Disney in the UK um, and I was responsible for looking at new revenue streams for them, particularly around retail and licensed products. And um, actually, when I was at Disney, at the time, Disney acquired Maker Studios, which is one of the biggest MCN, was the biggest MCN aggregator of influencers. And I saw um, and bumped into lots of people who had uh, worked previously with creators and so wanted to learn more about what they did and I saw parallels with the industry so that's kind of I guess from a professional side how I got into the creator space the influencer space and in terms of who you're surrounded with at work is there a commonality of the qualities you like to see in people that you deal with what are the attributes that you really like in the professional workplace 
Ah, wow. I like creative people. You know, I, I graduated and went into consulting and I worked at investment banks and I just wasn't kind of inspired by the people that work there. And I think it's because, you know, I'm not naturally as creative as some of these other individuals in the media industry. And so I kind of thrive off their creativity and, and try and apply some kind of business logic to what they're doing. So kind of crazy um, and creative people are what I, I kind of challenge me to uh, do, new, in, do new stuff. Okay, and what's have you ever had a mentor, or however formally or informally, and do you mentor anybody now? You know, to be honest, I don't have a mentor. I do have a business coach actually, who okay. kind of guides me on um, kind of you know my business and the journey of being an entrepreneur, which is you know is not without lots of challenges. I I have to say I do aspire to entrepreneurs probably more than kind of people in the corporate world, just because they've taken the risks and that you know face the challenges that I'm facing now. So that the kind of the people that uh, interest me more. And the roles that you have keep you busy. I know, I know that you work fast. I know that you've achieved some incredible results and we'll come on to those. Are you any good at switching off? Are you the sort of person that checks your phone whenever you're on holiday? And how do you relax? I am absolutely terrible at it. And I know it's a real weakness. Um, <laughs> I've become better at turning off notifications on my phone. But the type of person that wakes up, the first thing I do is check my phone. And the last thing I do before I go to bed is check, check my phone. I know it's a bad habit. I'm getting better at it. But ultimately, I think my excuse to myself is that I work in social media. So I need to know what's going on. And therefore, unfortunately, I just I really struggle to switch off. I see. Yeah, that seems to be a common thread with guests we have on this particular podcast. So you, you've you've not stuck out like a sore thumb. It sounds like you've been looking for opportunities wherever you've been. Is that something you're conscious of? Are you always looking for new opportunities, for new things, for new models? Is that a trait that you have? Yeah, it's definitely the thing that excites me. I know my strengths. I'm lucky to have spent, you know, 15 plus years working for established media companies like Disney. So I understand kind of the business model that makes them so successful, the IP that they created. But I really now relish this new kind of creator influencer economy and the ecosystem because the pace of which it moves is so exciting. And there's examples when I was at Disney, we spent a couple of years trying to launch a huge pop-up shop in Leicester Square and it just didn't happen there was too many hurdles to jump through and red tape yet I managed to launch a pop-up shop um, with Tiana one of the influencers I work with and in the space of two weeks from idea from never going to the location to uh, launching a shop 20,000 people turned up and and that's the kind of thing I thrive on this kind of pace um, of change. Um, just whilst we're getting to know you, are there people in this industry that impress you and, and who are they and what do they do? And also, what do you think you're known for professionally? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, there's loads of people that um, impress me, you know, first and foremost, the creators, there's uh, people often ask me whether the creators are lucky, and you know, if they just stumbled across success and almost always I know that they work tirelessly to create content to learn about the algorithm to learn about their audience and and to persevere and they were creating content years and years um four years without any you know significant viewership and it's only by persisting that they got to where they are and you know I'm in huge admiration of their persistence and I know how easy it is to to start something but to grow something as big as they have is really hard 
So like you, I've been in this space for a, a long time. And if you like, my epiphany working in the influencer space was we were working on an audible campaign with Talk Sport. And I think in a week it delivered something like 12 trials. And then we did a partnership in the same week, one with the Football Ramble podcast and one with Fleur de Force, and both did more than 5,000 trials you know, of the Audible service. Still now, whenever I meet a creator, I sort of go, oh, are you the bloke that got all, every YouTuber talking about Audible? But that was my moment of understanding what a highly engaged community could do. When was your epiphany? When, when did you think, okay, I get it? Yeah, I mean, there's a few of those, and a lot of them revolve around my my younger daughter because it was just seeing her interact with creators and youtubers and i am um, i was working with tiana she's a 13 year old youtuber now she was younger at the time and my daughter came along with me and my daughter featured in one of her videos which was quite quickly edited and, and put online and my daughter went to school the next day unbeknown that actually this video had been published and literally every kid in the class uh, in the in the schoolyard ran up to her and said Isla, Isla, how do you know tiana and she was like what do you mean she goes you were in Tiana's video and you know that is kind of the way that kids watch and consume content now Tiana is way bigger than you know the Disney Channel or Cartoon Network and if Isla had been on the Disney Channel maybe a few people would have seen it the fact that she was in Tiana's channel which every kid watches was kind of that moment where I was like yeah this is definitely big and and I you know I tell the story to retailers um, like Asda and Tesco uh, where we sell the Hearts by Tiana products and I say look you know kids are consuming Tiana content every single day it's not kind of like a film that just comes, peaks and disappears. Tiana is in these kids' lives every day, creating content, sharing relevant content that they can, that they, they watch. So I'm still here with Ian Shepherd. He's the CEO of The Social Store. We briefly mentioned Tiana and Hearts by Tiana. Let's come back to that a second because... I remember when you arrived in this space and you created something called the business of influence, which was both really, really useful for the people that were part of it and really, really useful for you, I'm guessing, because you got to make some awesome connections. Tell us about the business of influence, why it was needed, why, why, why it was such a, a good stepping stone for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And you've hit the nail on the head. I, I mentioned earlier that I was at Disney. I wanted to meet more people working with influencers. And I thought there must be a network or way of meeting with more people. And it was still a relatively new industry at the time. And so inspired by a good friend, almost like a mentor who created a network within his industry, I thought perhaps I could create something similar. And so I started hosting some relatively kind of intimate events at restaurants, uh, 10 to 12 people. And I just just started by contacting people on LinkedIn with influencer in their kind of description and said, hi, um, I'm from Disney. I want to pull some people together. Would you be interested in coming along? Um, I hosted the first event in 2017 and I kind of nervously waited to see whether anyone would turn up. Thankfully, they did. And what was really interesting for me was that no one in the first room of 10 had ever met in person before, but had heard of a couple of each other, had heard of each other and their businesses. And we had a really nice chat and everyone kind of said that they kind of enjoyed it and got something out of it. And so I kind of quickly scaled that. And it was really nice for me to meet with people in the industry and learn about it. And I know that, you know, I was very kindly, people said to me how much they 
taken from it and they you know started some new business or or met someone new and so it kind of it served two purposes one to connect people at the time in a very new industry and to open my eyes um to what was achievable i mean that was it that that helped you identify the gap in the market for the social store because i suppose the next question is i I think i get what the social store does Mm. The life for us was was it obvious that there was that gap in the market and what job did the social store do yeah it was for me it was obvious and i worked at disney with consumer products and consumer products you know disney is by far the the, the leader at licensed consumer products i could see just anecdotally how some of these creators were selling you know tens of thousands of t-shirts and the quality was really poor and I felt that I could do better with it and so I kind of the social store was set up as as a product business but you know merchandise and t-shirt printing and print on demand is a heavily saturated industry and I really wanted to kind of raise the the game with what we were doing and so I took Disney's and Warner Brothers their same model for consumer products where you license it to experts and and sell it into mass market retail and so we identified Tiana as being just about the most influential and biggest creator in the UK certainly for girls I knew that um, girls properties actually there weren't that many My Little Pony and LOL Dolls were the only kind of competitors and I I went to Brand Licensing Europe and said this is a great opportunity for you to have uh, an influencer and a new product and a new way of going to market and that was kind of where Hearts by Tiana was born and we we have launched the largest ever licensed product brand and Hearts by Tiana when Hearts by Tiana was born was that vindication and also what the social store elevates the merchandise offering by getting better distribution and achieves economies of scale in in who you get into is that the kind of point of difference yeah i mean ultimately retailers like asda and tesco understand the influencer marketplace but it's really hard for them just to kind of pick a successful influencer and start selling their products and so we really raise the game by creating a brand that they can buy into we partner with um the leading licenses the leading product manufacturers whether it's duvet covers backpacks or school shoes and and kind of form that link between the creator the product and the retailer Um, and we were really successful with the Tiana campaign because we created content in Asda as well and which has reached millions and millions of people in a way that um, hasn't been done before. I see and tell is it just for younger audiences where you foresee this working or do you think there are other niches might we see an an older male influencer bring out a line of fishing rods i'm being facetious to make a point but can it work for anybody and what's so good about tiana that no is there a commonality with the sort of creators you'll work with Uh, there's definitely options for everyone i think what's worked well for us is that there's two things. One is that licensed consumer products like Disney, Harry Potter, Minions are typically sold into younger people, you know, shopping. And also the fans of Tiana don't have purchasing power 
you know, very few of them will have a credit card and be able to buy anything online, but they do go into the supermarkets with their parents or their parents go do go in and they'll see something from Tiana and think, oh, you know, my daughter loves Tiana. She'll love this hoodie or these school shoes. So the fit was great. And, and that yeah. wouldn't be the same with older kind of yeah. influences that target an older demographic. That's not to say that it can't be done. Um, yeah. I think we'll see lots more collaborations where, you know, older influencers will partner with brands, but perhaps not with a consumer products brand licensed in the same way like we did with um, Tiana. And I suppose a question maybe that our listenership are thinking is, and forgive me if this is a bold question, is shouldn't managers be looking at this or do you think it takes somebody with an expert of licensing to almost elevate the offering? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I, and I do, I think managers are looking at this, but there's a real expertise in terms of the process, in terms of the product creation, working with the best suppliers and also um, just the, the process from conception to install because unlike a shopify website where you know we could set have an idea today set it up tomorrow sell it the next day the supply chain for getting things from uh, into supermarkets is much longer and that's twofold one is because the supermarkets have their shelves booked out for months and months in advance and secondly because the products are manufactured in mass scale in turkey or india for example then you need to allow for kind of the shipping and so the process itself is just a lot longer and a lot more thorough than printing T-shirts on demand um, sure. and requires someone to, to manage that in most cases. We speak on the day that we're recording where a number of people from the influencer marketing world are going to a house, uh, Houses of Parliament Select Committee. So I was going to ask a question on regulation, if you like. And how do you think the influencer marketing world is regulated? If somebody's pointing to their own merchandise, is that a hashtag ad? Mm. I kind of wanted to bring up both a potentially grey area, but also find out how you think it's regulated and whether you think it's done well. Uh, I mean, it's a really challenging area to regulate, right? And, yeah. and not least because it's self-regulated in, in, in some instances by the influencers themselves. There's pressures from the brand who perhaps may not understand kind of the regulations as well. And ultimately, there's a perception that when you put hashtag ad on something, it doesn't, it doesn't perform as well. But yeah. we know that that's, you know, we've got stats as, that show that that isn't the case as well. And ultimately, it's, um, it's the agency, the brand and the uh, influencer that need to be making sure that they correctly identify things as being part of an advert in terms of the merchandise themselves that's a, that's a, also a gray area but yeah. ultimately with something with tiana's name on I, th I think the audience should understand that ultimately it is an advert and therefore it's not required to be disclosed I get you let's take a bit of a helicopter view if that's all right um if you look at the creator economy, the influencer marketing ecosystem, I sort of theorise that we we had the emergence era. We then went into the Wild West where everybody could do it and nobody knew what the rules were. We then sort of went into the direct response trader era uh, where everyone was looking at, you know, cost per click type stuff. And just talking to Lucy Loveridge, who's head of talent at Gleam, actually, she's even more important than that now, but she's at Gleam. She was talking about we'd forgotten how good the content was. Do you think we're in a new age of creativity? And what journey do you think influencer marketing has been on? Great question. I think in terms of the point around data, I think 
what's interesting from a brand and thinking about how a brand connects with influencer is ultimately what are they trying to achieve and they shouldn't be distracted by metrics or or vanity metrics when ultimately they've got a different goal so um i remember having this great analogy from nick yields and he was explaining how trying to win a football match you know it's not about having the most corners it's ultimately having the you know, scoring the most goals. And if we look at that in terms of influencer marketing, you could say, oh, but that video's only got X many views. But, you know, what was the goal of the campaign or what was the goal of the brand and what they were trying to achieve? So yeah. from a data perspective, I think it, let's not get blurred by the kind of the vanity metrics and actually think about what is it we're trying to achieve for the business. And what was the other question? It was around The content, other part right? was what age or what, what age hmm. of marketing are we in and what journey has it been on? I was hypothesizing yeah. that maybe <laughs> in a new area, era of creativity. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure how I define it or describe it. For me, I think there has been this kind of evolution from influencer to creator. And I've kind of spoken about being in awe of what these creators have achieved. I'm excited about the kind of the broader economy in terms of uh, new platforms and tools that are coming out that enable creators to monetize their business um, beyond the kind of traditional four platforms or the social platforms. And also, in fact, how they involve themselves, because at the moment, um, YouTube is the only platform which really pays creators directly. With uh, Instagram or TikTok, the creators are monetizing their their business off platform so i think it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves and from a, i guess from a brand perspective i would expect more creators to be working on longer term partnerships so i i like um for example in the us david dobrik and chipotle where they've got a product together it's yeah. not just kind of like he's holding up a burrito and that's end of case they've yeah. worked to develop a product and that's kind of a long-standing campaign i think most people that listen to this podcast will understand that these for the large part are not teenagers in bedrooms anymore in fact they're entrepreneurs themselves monetizing their their inventory and understanding business is now a good time to speak about your new business what is electrify how does it work bring it to life for a share because i'm yeah (laughs) thank you thank you so yes so i would say around the start of the year i started investigating and and i guess forming a new business called electrify and ultimately what we're looking to do is invest in established creators so on the journey that i've been on i've seen creators and how they go about their business whether that's creating content producing and distributing it whether it's about growing their business and ultimately they're all as you say entrepreneurs and but one of the hardest thing about entrepreneurs being an entrepreneur is growing your team and scaling what you do and and what we're looking to do is invest in creators and help them kind of accelerate the growth of their business and i liken it more to a private equity model than a venture capital we're not necessarily looking for the next uh, mr beast for creators that don't have an audience we're looking to work with established creators but actually help them scale so perhaps they've got to a size where they they need help with production they need help with um, distributing their content they've got ideas for new businesses so for example we're speaking to a creator in germany and he wants to build a studio to kind of scale up his content and launch a new channel that's a great yeah. example where you know he's he can't do that on his own he doesn't have the time in the day or the expertise and so we're going to bring the funding and we're going to bring a team and help him grow his business from you know one creator to a much bigger business 
And the model is that that addition to his existing portfolio is a partnership, correct? So you exactly. I've got it. So we would be investing in the business uh, cash and expertise. Whether it's social store, whether it's electrify, how do you spot talent? What's is is there a is there a one thing that they must do? Is there a is is there anything that screams okay? We have to work with these people. And I think there's a little bit of data and well, art and science right so the science mm. is in the numbers and we're looking through numbers and the different platforms trying to understand the growth but ultimately the art of understanding what makes a creator tick what's the journey that they've been on and how are they as an entrepreneur is something that's a lot softer and easier you need to meet them you need to see them and I guess, again, back to the music industry, there's a large part that's just intuition and yeah. having a really good feeling that, you know, you, you, you can see what they've achieved and you want to help them grow further. And, and chemistry, right? So if you're in the room mm. with them, they exude a positive, warm, collaborative spirit that can mean so much more than the biggest audience in the world, right? I Genuinely, it sounds like I've got a gripe. I haven't got anyone in my head who wasn't like <laughs> but, but, but so much of business is that chemistry, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've turned down work, you know, for the social store with creators where it's just not felt right. I haven't liked something about the way that they do. And ultimately, the benefit the great thing about being an entrepreneur is you you know you should be able to choose who you work with and yeah. if you're an employee unfortunately you may have to work with someone you don't like but yeah. you know if, if, if it's under your terms then I can't think of anything worse than having to work for with someone or for someone that you don't like so having been exposed to big music acts like Beyonce I'm sure this didn't shock you but were you in any way surprised by how commercial how the commercial acumen of the creators how in, in tune it was because you'll you'll speak to somebody talking about the color pink and um mm. and, and things to put in their hair and content and then straight outside of that they're talking about category exclusivity and non-disclosure <laughs> it's incredible how commercial some of them are I mean yeah I think it does it surprise me not really because they're entrepreneurial again and you know very few of them get to the position where you're having that conversation without kind of hustling and learning as they go I still think that a lot of them have big gaps in their understanding and but that's to be expected again like any entrepreneur yeah. and um you know it's uh, often you need to kind of be there to help them understand commercially the way something works and with the licensing the product licensing again there has been an education process of just because we've seen the sample now it's going to be six months before that's in store and just because you know we want to promote it now there's no point until it's in store and unfortunately i can't even tell you exactly when it will be in store because that's yeah. when it you know lands to the delivery depot in the different part of the country and is put out by the you know the shop assistant onto the onto the shelves yeah. so there is an education required but um no i think you know they're entrepreneurs and so therefore they're learning fast and there's so much information available online as well right it's you know if you want to know how to uh, launch a product on demand t-shirt offering then just go onto youtube and there's about 50 videos on it yeah definitely what's what's been the biggest seismic shift in the influencer space you might say the end of the mcns you might say tiktok but has there been a really big shift where you've noticed okay things have changed now nothing jumps out at me i think it's right. been like a continuous evolution i wouldn't say anything jumped out did the tiktok explosion during lockdown did that surprise you had that always been coming do you sense what what are your thoughts yeah i mean that's a fair shout i would 
definitely wouldn't say I saw it coming. It was definitely in the right place at the right time. It was fascinating to see, you know, just the nature of the creators or the celebrities that use the platform to create the content. I think, you know, it's still got a long way to go from a creator perspective. I put a story on LinkedIn today, just in fact, that just because the engagement is quite high on the mobile app doesn't mean it's kind of challenging YouTube. It's just a different type of content and if i was a new creator i would look at tiktok because it's a great way for discovery but yeah. if i was kind of an, an established creator i wouldn't be distracted by it i'd focus on the core youtube content because that's kind of the bread and butter um, yeah. so i think the challenge for creators is just embracing or managing these different platforms at the same time because they can't be everywhere and it's just it'll be a balance for them what's going to happen next for the social store and electrify and what's going to happen next in the big influencer marketing space. So for the social store, I've spoken a lot about Tiana and we have a, um, a new big British influencer who's going to have a range at Asda at the end of the year. So I can't announce who that is yet, but it's it's a top 10 British influencer. So I'm really excited about that. For Electrify, um, I mean, we're looking to work with creators uh, around the world on all sorts of different channels, whether it's launching studios, second channels or podcasts. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, this time next year, we could have 50 creators who are a part of our family. In terms of influencer marketing, I kind of alluded to it a little bit. I think that brands will be looking to work with influencers on longer term campaigns. But ultimately, there's just, it's such a, a fast changing world. And that's kind of what excites me and attracted me to it and keeps me on my toes. So I, I don't have all the answers, I'm afraid. <laughs> So it's time for the part of the conversation where we ask the week's guest for some actionable insights, some practical takeaways for our audience. We ask Ian Shepherd, CEO of The Social Store, for his rocket fuel. First one is always the same, Ian. What do you know about young audiences? Well, I was very lucky to work, spend most of my career working with kids, whether it started at Cartoon Network, Universal Music, Disney, and then obviously with creators, I work with some of the biggest. I've also uh, got three kids of my own, and so I see their consumption of media. Um, and so we'd like to think that I've got a good finger on the pulse. And what do you think is important to young audiences? Um, I would say, for me, relevance. Like, the reason why the likes of Tiana or any of the young creators have grown so quickly is because the audience and the kids feel like the content is for them by kids like them. And um, the influencers are playing Roblox like they do or um, wearing the latest pair of Nike trainers like they do. And so they can really relate to that. And that's why traditional kids programming like from Cartoon Network or just doesn't resonate in the same way anymore because it's just not as relatable. So um, I think that that's really important. And what has changed and what will change in the way that young people behave, do you think? What's changed? I mean, if I look at my daughter, I find it fascinating that she multitasks on like three different screens. She's kind wow. of always got a FaceTime with one of her friends. You know, she's got a YouTube video playing on another screen and, you know, with some tips on Roblox and she's playing on Roblox on the third. So um, she she's Roblox. How old is your daughter? She's 11. So my boy's nine, and yeah, he cannot put Roblox down. <laughs> so yes, I'm I'm right with you there. 
and uh, yeah so and if I think about when I was a kid obviously we just couldn't communicate in that same way and the pro is that you know it's great that when she's at home she can so socialize with her um with her friends but then there's a con right and the con is that if there's you know whatsapp or groups um of messages then and bullying um and not deliberate bullying but just kind of messages out of turn from young kids can go in totally the wrong direction and you know i've heard about issues at her school where you know someone said something on a message which perhaps they didn't really mean but certainly when I was a kid you know that wouldn't have only have happened in the playground and it was very different definitely definitely. child safety is a really big one isn't it because on Mm. Roblox it does freak me out how they can message anybody that is still a I mean I I check the messages every time he puts his iPad down and he knows I do that but yeah it's (laughs) A strange one isn't it yeah. both being in this world and also trying to parent as well uh, <laughs> it's a tough one um penultimate question are there any brands or group of brands or organizations that get everything right in the social space and any that get everything wrong feel free mm. not to name and shame but just bring <laughs> some examples or best practice or worst practice yeah i mean i guess an obvious one for someone older like me is just Red Bull and the way Red Bull approached content and the way they did special stuff like the guy jumping into earth and stuff. That impressed me. I mean, it's updated now, albeit, but I've been impressed by them as a as a brand and a media company. And then I mentioned Chipotle and David Dobrik and maybe Charlie D'Amelio and Dunkin' Donuts. I like these, I mean, they're kind of superstar deals, but I kind yeah. of like the way that the company has done more than just, you know, promoted a product, but work with the creator to to do something new. And that's that's I, I like that because it just feels special and disruptive yeah. and different and rather than just a basic advert for something. Yeah, a lot more than 30 quid a hoodie or 20 quid a t-shirt, right? Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Ian, last question, and it might be something that we've spoken about in our conversation, or it might be something where I've not asked the right questions. Is there any one takeaway you'd like our audience to go away with? Gosh, I think that I just say, you know, the creators and the influencers are here to stay. This is not a fad. This isn't going to change. Um, they're just going to become more influential. More people are going to watch them. They're going to reach everybody around the world. And I, I use the example sometimes of my mother. And, you know, ultimately, you know, she doesn't consume YouTube the way younger people consume YouTube. But I can just imagine in the future that I have a conversation with her and she tells me that, for example, she may have booked a holiday or a cruise because she was watching someone on YouTube and Mary on YouTube was on this cruise and she watched it and she liked it. And, 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 and that's the way I can see it going, where you just have these different niches of content and they don't just appeal to you know the likes of our children but in fact kind of the likes of my mother for example who probably doesn't spend much time on youtube at the moment but i I genuinely think that she will where if indeed you would like people to get in touch with you can people find you where where Um, i would say linkedin is probably the best place i'm um i tend to be pretty active on there just in terms of sharing knowledge and advice and connecting with people so you can find me on there Brilliant. Ian Shepherd, CEO of The Social Store, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thank you so much, James. It's great to be here. 
I told you Ian Shepard would be a fascinating conversation, didn't I? Isn't it amazing when he had his eureka moment? Like so many people that work in this space of influencer marketing and broadly online uh, creators. So, yeah, really good chat. And I get on well with Ian. He's a good man. He's also got his own podcast uh, out. So uh, go find him there too. We are going to take an extended break for Christmas. Rocket Fuel will return in the new year with two or three already belted conversations, one solving the school run, one solving the short news, and another solving radio for teenagers. So they're just three of the things to look forward to from Rocket Fuel. Have a great Christmas, have a wonderful new year, and we will see you in 2023. Rocket Audio.